Welcome this morning to Friends Church. I am Steve, one of the pastors here, and yes, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and uh, you all look very festive and uh, ready for what's going to happen in just a couple days, and uh, hopefully everybody's all set. We are going to be here in two days, Tuesday, 2, 4, and 6, for our Christmas Eve service. So I encourage you to come grab a friend, a great family service together as we worship and praise and uh, celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. So 2, 4, and 6 o'clock this week, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, so be here uh, and looking forward to that. So today we are in the final of our four weeks of Advent messages, Hope's Journey. And we've been taking on a journey uh, of hope during this time, led by our, what I'm, I think I'm kind of calling our tour guide or our guide, Paul. The Apostle Paul is kind of leading us through this, this journey to, to hope as we look through the Word. And as we look through Romans, we kind of see Paul in that way. He kind of walks us through our journey. Kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, that very famous um, play uh, of Charles Dickens. You remember the Christmas Carol, or a Christmas Carol? Yeah. One of the, I think written in 1843, one of the most beloved, and, and you all remember there's the central character of that play is a, is a fellow named Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Remember Scrooge? And every time someone would say Merry Christmas, Scrooge would say... Bah humbug, yeah, yeah, you guys are too good at that. So yeah, you know, bah humbug. And, and so we, it was, as it goes, and most of us know the story, and you've probably heard it since you were a child, that um, it was not a good Christmas Eve day, and it was a bad day at work, and it went, that made a bad day in the, in the afternoon, in the evening, and it went on and into the evening. And finally, Scrooge heads home. He heads home, and he lays his head down and he falls asleep only to be visited by the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, and the spirit of, future, spirit of Christmas yet to come. But it kind of reminded me of the Apostle Paul, especially in Romans as he walks through this book, when he talks about our life past before Christ, our life present with Christ, And then he talks about this life to come. And it's all through there. And Paul is our guide as he walks us through these steps. In fact, he starts in chapter 5, where we've been for the last few weeks, in life present. And he jumps around. He'll go from life present to life future, back to life past during this here. But he starts in chapter 5 with life present. And he says, therefore, because we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God today, present. Our present today is as Christians, those who believe on him, have peace with him today because we have been justified through faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through him and the faith that comes through him that we then stand in this grace that we have been, that we have been called and we stand here today. But then immediately in the second verse of chapter 5, he jumps to the future. He says this in 5.2. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
Well, essentially, what's Paul saying here? What does he mean when we say we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? Because actually, in this journey that Paul's been taking us on, two chapters earlier, when he's talking about our life past, he says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We're all in this same predicament. We're all short of God's glory. There's something in our lives that has caused us to break fellowship with God. Something in our lives that has caused us not to live up to the standard that he's called us to. We've fallen short of his glory. But then he talks about how Jesus Christ came and gave his life and those who believe and have faith in him are justified and have peace with God. And so he says, now he jumps into the future, and he says, for those folks, we rejoice in the hope of glory. We have something to look forward to, something that's coming, something as a result of what we've done is there. But he also is telling us in this passage, and we see this because he jumps back and forth, that there is life today, We accept Jesus Christ as Lord. Life today, we are here standing at peace with God. Life today, we are one with him. But there is then this point in the future of glory. And we look forward to that. We look forward with hope. But we've been studying these last few weeks. But in between, there's a lot of life, isn't there? In between accepting the Lord, in between the glory that we are eventually going to receive, there is a lot of life. And we have sufferings and we have problems and we are all faced with it. None of us are immune from it. So he reminds us that not only do we look for the glory of God, in the meantime, we glory in our sufferings. We glory in our perseverance and in, in our character. We glory in our suffering. It produces perseverance. It produces character. And Paul is, if Paul is our guide today, he's saying, step back, take a look. This is your life, right? This is your life. You've accepted Christ. You're looking forward to glory. But in between, you've got some suffering. You've got some growing to do. You've got some perseverance to go through. And you have some character to be built. And so take those steps, step by step. But he also is telling us that the steps we're taking, the growing we're doing, the suffering we're going through is not in vain. It's not in vain because he says then the character produces hope. Character produces hope. And then he brings it full circle in verse 5 of chapter 5. He says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. this, This put to shame means it doesn't disappoint Our hope is not going to be disappointed. Our hope is going to be fully vindicated. And we know that the the, the down payment we have, that deposit we have on that, is that God is showing us by pouring out his love on us through the Holy Spirit. You know, up to this point in time, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only given to certain people for certain occasions, for certain jobs. But after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit and God's love was just poured out lavishly on those at all who would receive it. And he just pours out his love and he says, this is the evidence, this is that, that there's a glory awaiting us. This is just part of what God's glory in us is going to be God's glory forever. It's a foretaste. 
And so Paul in Romans is bouncing back and forth between this past where we didn't know Christ. We were separated from him. We were separated from his glory. We, we, we were fall short of his glory. Now we receive peace with God and we look forward to his glory. And then three chapters later is where we're going to be the rest of this today. It's in Romans chapter 8, that great chapter Bible. Love Romans chapter 8. And in, in here, he, he jumps again into this future glory that we're going to experience. And so if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking, starting in verse 18. If you, have, if you look at those uh, orange Bibles in the pew there, that's page 772. Page 772 in the Bibles there in the pew. He starts with this. He says, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have been first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship and redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul ends this scripture of, of talking about our future and, and what awaits us in, in the glory that's coming by straightening out or trying to straighten out our thinking about hope. And, and we know, and he talks to us through his writings that hope kind of comes in varying degrees. There, there's there's, there's, there's different types of hope, and some of us have great hope, and some of us have really no hope, and he talks about that. He says the hope that we have as Christians, the hope that he uses in chapters 5 and chapter 8, this hope, the word for that is el peace. It's an expectation. It's to anticipate it's, it's, it's coming. It's a sureness about it. The biblical hope is a strong, a confident expectation. It's, it's going to happen. That's the word he uses. The word, I, can, I can maybe best explain that by thinking back to a special day for me. It was Father's Day 2016. Anybody remember what happened Father's Day 2016? Keep it to yourself. Yeah. I left this building. I had preached and gone home. And I was in a state of hope. Big time hope. We were, a lot of us were in a big hope that finally, finally, <laughs> a Cleveland sports team would win a championship. Right? 
just hoping. Say, I, my hope was weak that day, I got to admit. We were playing Golden State Warriors, the greatest regular season record of all time. We'd been down 3-1. and one. We'd won two in a row, but now we had to go back and beat them again in San Francisco. We had to do it, and I just, I'm there hoping, hoping, hoping. I remember watching the game. Sheila wouldn't even be in the, she wasn't even in the house. She was down away and, and uh, down visiting my dad on Father's Day, which I probably should have been doing, but... <laughs> But I was home with our son, and our son was sitting on the couch, and he's watching the game on the couch, and I'm sitting in my chair. You know, every dad has their chair, right? I'm sitting in my chair. Watching, well, I'm sitting every now and then. You know, I'm pacing. I'm behind the, I'm behind the, 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 the chair, and I'm, I'm rocking it, and I'm, I'm going pacing, and I'm doing all those things that we do when we're nervous and we don't know what's going to happen. Your stomach kind of feels like, oh, man, we're down by six or seven at halftime, and hope is, hope is fleeting. And then it happened. It happened. LeBron chases down Iguodala and makes that block. And Kyrie somehow steps up over Steph and hits the three. And somehow Kevin Love doesn't trip all over his feet and fall down and, and plays defense on Steph. And they win. And, and, and it's, it's like it's unbelievable. It's happened. We've experienced our hope has been fulfilled. I mean, I give him a son the high five and we're celebrating. Hope was fulfilled. But you know what happens? And my wife can verify this. Every, every now and then, if I'm bored and uh, there's nothing really on TV, she'll come walking through where our TV is and she'll look at me watching that fourth quarter of that game. And she'll say, are you watching that again? I says, yeah. But you know, when I watch it, I watch it differently. I watch it, that hope has been replaced with confidence. That hope has been replaced by assuredness. The hope has been replaced, that, 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 that anxiousness has been replaced by a smile. Because every time I watch it, every time I watch it, LeBron has never been too slow to get the block. <laughs> Kyrie has never clanked the three-pointer, and Kevin has never tripped. There's an assuredness that I know what's going to happen. That is the type of word that he is using here. A Christian, somebody who has walked with the Lord, somebody who has walked through suffering, someone that has walked through difficulties and been patient, someone whose perseverance has been strengthened, someone whose character has been developed, knows without a doubt that when God says, you will be with me in glory, that is the case. There is a time coming when his glory will be our glory. And that's the assuredness. And when Paul says that, he says, we are hoping for the glory of Christ. We are hoping with an assuredness, with a smile on our face, that what God promised is going to be. That's what he tells us today. Through suffering, through pain, through perseverance, we have a hope. This life is not all there is. Paul began this chapter, chapter 8, the 18 that we've been reading about, verse 18, he said this, I consider our present sufferings are not worthy compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Notice he didn't say maybe. He says the glory that will be. He's seen it. He knows it. 
He knows the glory of God. And he says, I am confident. And T. Wright, in his book, Surprised by Hope, which is all about this, this understanding of, of God's hope for us and the glorification that's coming in us. He says the major question that we as Christians must ask is what is our ultimate hope? What is our ultimate hope? And our ultimate hope is to be, see the glory of God revealed in us. The, our ultimate hope is to be with him. Our ultimate hope, hope is that one day after this life is over, we are with him. That's a hope. But not everybody has that hope. And Paul tells us not everybody has that hope. In fact, as Paul guides us through the scripture here, he, he tells the, pe- the folks in, in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4, he writes this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you will not grieve like the rest of mankind who do not, who have no hope. There are some that have no hope. And we don't want you to be like those. I don't want you to be like those that have no hope, he says. He says, in fact, we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. I've done quite a few funerals over the last few years. And this is a scripture that I typically use, use a lot. Preach on it. And it seems odd to be preaching on a sermon, maybe a message that you use for funerals on the Sunday before Christmas. But the message is the same. The same hope that gives us hope in a funeral is the same hope that is the hope of Christmas. It's the same hope that we celebrate at Easter. It's the hope that God gives us through Jesus Christ who came, as Paul said, who gave his life, as Paul said, who was raised from the dead, as Paul said, so that we could be justified, so that we could be at peace with God. And he says, we, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Some folks have no hope. Maybe you've heard of that. Uh, there's that uh, tombstone in Maryland, very famous tombstone. It, it, it's, it's in Thurmond, Maryland, and, the, and it's inscribed on it, here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go, no hope. C.S. Lewis was told about that tombstone, and he replied this, I bet he wishes that that were so. I bet he wishes that were so. Hope. English poet Alexander Pope said, hope springs eternal in the human breast. You can't live without hope. But yet there are those. This life is it. There's no hope. The Bible says otherwise. In his writings about us, for a sermon that he preached called Shattered Dreams, Martin Luther King wrote this. This would be an absurdly meaningless universe if death turned out to a blind alley leading the human race into a state of nothingness. That would be absurd. Life would be meaningless. Life, life, this would be no life at all if that was the case. Paul said pretty much the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the resurrection and talking about Jesus coming again. He said, you know, if, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, if there is not life after death, then our, if our hope is only for Christ in this life and he wasn't raised from the dead, then we are to be pitied above everybody else. But the next verse says, but in fact, but in fact, Christ was raised from the dead. And if Christ was raised from the dead, there is hope. There is hope. King continues, 
God through Christ has taken the sting from death and it no longer has dominion over us. This earthly life is merely an embryonic prelude to a new awakening and death is an open door that leads us to eternal life. Where we see and experience the glory of God and his glory becomes our glory. And it's sure. But for some of us, that, that hope, maybe we, maybe, maybe we have hope. You know, we said different levels of hope, different, different varieties of hope. The problem for a lot of people isn't that they have no hope. Sometimes we have misplaced hope. Paul deals with that too. He says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which rich, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I think this is sometimes a problem, not just for non-Christians, sometimes this is a problem for us Christians is to put our hope, misplace our trust, put our hope in something that really doesn't deserve our hope. We put our place, our hope in, mo- in money and in intellect and in family and possessions and power and position and social status. But these things will let you down every time. There was an individual, he was a businessman from Atlanta. He, he had gone to um, Las Vegas for a business convention. While he was at Las Vegas for this business convention, the, uh, uh, the, the hotel caught fire. And, and it was a major fire, so much so he was concerned for his life. He really thought he wasn't going to live. And here's what he said. At that time, I didn't pray to the gods of work, to the gods of money, to the gods of golf, or to the gods of family. Yeah. Put your hope, put your hope in God. Don't put your hope in, mis, misplace your hope in things that will disappoint, the things that will let us down. So back to Romans 8, 18, where he said, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. We've talked about the glory. talked about that, that, that life with Christ. But I love what he says here too. I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing. Not even worth comparing. Do you remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Eric was talking about some of the things that uh, Paul went through? Yeah. Do you remember that when Saul, who was Paul before he was converted, um, when he was converted, or when when he was on the road to Damascus and he was blinded, uh, the Lord spoke to Ananias and said, you go to Paul and you, Saul, you pray for him. And Ananias goes, eh, I'm not sure. And Jesus said, uh, you know what, go ahead. I'm going to show him the things that he must suffer for my name. You know, he knew all about sufferings, yet he says, I, these sufferings aren't even worth comparing. Back to 2 Corinthians, he says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. These sufferings, which produces patience and perseverance, which produces character, 
are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Light and momentary. Don't even think about it. But yet we have real struggles, don't we? Real problems. It was Friday morning. Friday morning. I had to make a, um, an airport run. Got in the car, headed to the airport. And I was there a few minutes early. And you know when you're a few minutes early and you don't want to clog up things, I headed to what they call the cell phone lot. Have you ever been to Cleveland? The cell phone lot. You go there and you, and you wait for a text that says, we're ready, we're ready to be picked up. And then you go around. And so I had to make it to the airport, I mean to the, to the cell phone lot. And I'm driving down, I think it's Five Points Road or something like that. And at the corner of Five Points and Snow, there's these red lights, stop lights. I get there. It's red. The light's red. There's nothing coming this way. There's nothing coming this way. And I sit, and I sit, and I sit. There's nothing coming as far as you can see. There is no car in the universe as far as I can tell. And that red, that light is red, and it's red, and it's red. And I said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Sheila was in the car at the time, and she didn't quite think that was, no. But, you know, it's like, it's like, Lord, how could you leave me stranded here? <laughs> it's snow in five points. The suffering we go through in this life. <laughs> you say, Pastor, get real. Yeah, get real. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. All of these things are light and momentary. We, he, says, he says his big things, his shipwrecks, his beatings, his, 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 his imprisonments, light, momentary. Just like being held up at a stoplight for a few minutes. It's nothing compared to what we are going to experience in glory. Compared to what he has in store for us. It's not even worth, it's not even worth comparing, he says. Don't bother. It outweighs them all. Yeah. Not worth comparing. Kenneth Boa, author and teacher, writes this. Hope developed in good circumstances tends to be unreliable because it's untested. But God uses times of adversity and few alternatives to bring us into contact with a hope that will not let us down. There is a hope. It's interesting. Paul, after this, in, in chapter 8, after he talks about these sufferings, he goes into some unique thoughts and discussions about, about creation. And he actually personifies creation. He says, you know, even creation is crying out for this glory. God's people are crying out for this glory. We are all waiting. We are all in this, in this suffering. We are all going through this life. We are all in this in-between period waiting for what God has for us. The trees, the mountains, the rocks, the oceans are crying out. It says they're groaning just as we are groaning for this glory that one day will be ours. And then, and then he closes it with this in, 20, in 24 and 25 of chapter 8. He says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is, this, is not, this is not no hope. This is not misplaced hope. This is proper hope. 
This is hoping in what we don't have, but what we know for certain, absolutely for certain, as much as I know that the next time I watch this ball game, it's going to have the same result. I know that shot's going to go in. I know that defense is going to get played. I know the block's going to happen. That same confidence I have that Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us, and when he prepared it, he's going to come, and he's going to take us, and we're going to be with him. That's the same hope, the same confidence. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul keeps taking us around here. He says this, so, so, fix our eyes, not on what's seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The second point beside what's the ultimate Christian hope that Right, N.T. Wright answers in his book. He has another question, and I, I paraphrased it. It's this, if my hope is in Jesus, then what? Then what? How does it change our day-to-day lives? You know, you remember Scrooge? If you remember what happened after he was shown his, path, his future, shown where he was headed if he continued on the path that he was headed, He cried out for mercy. He says, can I have a second chance? Let me go back and make things right. Let me change. And the story says he went back. And this man who was bah humbug suddenly became a man of Merry Christmas, a man of kindness, a man of gentleness, a man who was generous. Because it changed him. When we know where we're going, when we have our mind on the things that are unseen rather than the things that are seen, rather than on the money and the jobs and the status and the position, all those things are seen. When our thoughts and our, and our direction is on what's unseen, how does that change us? Where do we change? Do we become more kind, more generous, more loving, more evangelistic when we know what's happening? Do we become less likely to put our faith and our hope in things that will let us down? Or do we put our hope in things that are constant, that are true, that we know for certain? Knowing this, knowing that we are putting our thoughts in our eyes, in our hearts, into what is unseen, changes, changes what we do with our time, our talents, and our treasure. It changes it. We live differently when we know that this life is not what counts. It's it's very minimal. It's very minor compared to the glory that awaits us. How does it affect your time, your talents, your treasure? Hope. I love the title of our former president, Barack Obama's book that he wrote when he was a senator, The Audacity of Hope. Hope should be audacious. In fact, that was the title of his speech, in the, of his keynote speech in 2004 at the Democratic National Convention that pretty much took him from a nobody to a somebody. He wrote the book, and he wrote in this book later, he says this, hope, hope in the face of difficulty, hope in the face of uncertainty, the audacious, 
the audacity of hope. In the end, that is God's greatest gift to us. A belief in things not seen. A belief that there are better days ahead. Well, there are better days ahead. It may not be in this life, but it will be. Notice that will be in the next. At the Christmas story, there was another man that we don't talk about a whole lot. This was a few days after Christmas. In fact, it was uh, eight days after Christmas. It was time for the, uh, eight days after the birth of Christ. It was time for the purification ritual for Mary. And they went to the temple, it says, and they went to Jerusalem to the temple to offer a sacrifice, a poor person's sacrifice. But there at the temple that day showed up a man named Simeon. Simeon was a man of hope. God had told him something. And you know, when God talks, he means what he says. And he had told him, you are not going to die until you see this Messiah. So Simeon wakes up that morning and something tells him, get to the temple. And he gets to the temple and he sees the Christ child. And he realizes, my hope has been fulfilled. My hope, the word that God said to me has come true. And it says that that day he blessed the child, he blessed the parents. And he said, I can die now. <laughs> I have seen what God has for me to see. His promises have come true. And now I will go be with him in glory. That's a hope. That's the hope that drives us. God says he means it. Verse 28 through 32 of chapter 2 says this. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of all your people, Israel. Israel. I've seen it. My eyes have seen it. As followers of Christ, Where's your hope? Where's your hope today? As you go into Christmas season, if you have misplaced hope, if you have no hope, little hope, or do you have this great hope and promises knowing that what God said is true, knowing that there's a future, knowing that the glory he's prepared is for you if you know him. And if you don't, I tell you, today's a great day to to just say, Lord, um, I want to take care of this. I want to take care of it now. I want to know this hope. As we're going to sing a song, and as we sing, the altars are always open here, friends. If you want to come and say, I, I, I need to take this step, or you just say, I need more hope, or I need hope through a situation, um, today's a great day to do that. Let's stand together, and we're going to sing, and the altars are open. See
pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have at this season. Lord, we, uh, we don't live our lives like those who have no hope. We don't live, we don't grieve, Lord. We, we don't do anything like those who have no hope because we have the greatest hope, the most audacious hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and gave his life for us and is, Lord, uh, preparing a place where we can spend eternity. Lord, give us that hope as we live, as we go out this week as we share. Lord, may that change how we act. Lord, may that give us hearts of love and gratitude and thankfulness and, and generosity and, Lord, to a desire to share this good news and this hope with others. Lord, may you this, this week, Lord, as we celebrate this, your birth, Father, may you remind us that this hope isn't just for a hope that people had 2,000 years ago of Messiah, but it's the hope we have for your return and for spending eternity with you. 
knowing that's for sure. Go with us now. Lead and direct us into your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul closes Romans 15 and 13 with this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go this week, overflow with hope through his power, through the power of his spirit. You're dismissed.